Well, it's always a very exciting thing to see people come, hear the word of God, the word of the Lord, turn to God, put their trust in Jesus Christ, roll up their sleeves, if you will, and pursue God's plan for their lives. However, it's easy to feel like the plan that God has for us is not much of a plan, that our work is not important, but it is so important to remember from God's perspective that everything that we do for him is both great, and I'm not you know, just using that word, it's great and it is important work. That's because God can take a very, very little bit of faithfulness and, and, he, can, and he can turn it into a lot. Let me give you an example. In 1987, a teenager shared Jesus Christ with me. In 1999, a woman in the nursery at the church that I came from, Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge, assured my overwhelmed wife that she would take very special care of our two-year-old son, Timothy, while we went into the service. And so we stayed at that church largely because of that woman and her watching out for my son. Little did I know I would become a Calvary Chapel pastor, and here we are. Just little things that don't seem to matter that much at the time. When Pam and I and the kids came up here, uh, several people said to us, we have been praying for you to come up here. Remember, I went to have some invite cards come, and, and the, so the designer comes out. I'm at FedEx Kinko's, and he walks out, and he looks at me. He goes, finally, you're here. I said, what? He goes, finally, you're here. I said, we've been praying for a Calvary Chapel up here for a long time. And I was like, okay, okay. Nobody told us, but that's all right. But when, when we had gotten here, it was obviously true to us that, that God had had people already up here praying for us to come. Hear the words of Jesus, John 4.38, talking to his disciples. He said, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. You see, it's easy for us to think that our work for the Lord is just simple or unimportant, but it's important because it's part of God's plan and it's part of God's work in the life of every follower of Jesus, in the life of every church, and in the life of the church worldwide. Here in Haggai chapter 1, 500 years before Jesus came to to earth, a group of of, of 50,000 Jews had come back from captivity in Babylon, a period known as the Babylonian captivity or the exile, and God brought them back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild their lives. But the circumstances for them got difficult. People got busy with work. Does that happen to any of you? They got busy with, with family. They got busy with their houses. And they began to neglect the house of the Lord, the very reason why God brought them back. They began to neglect the work of the Lord. And by neglecting the house of the Lord and the work of the Lord, they began to neglect the Lord himself. We saw last week that the people of God just didn't seem to make the connection that there was a lot of frustration in their life, and they didn't seem to get it. There was a lot of things that seemed to be going wrong, like God was like kind of in the way of everything that they were doing. They didn't seem to get it. Some, do you know what I mean by that? I really know what that's like. And, and sometimes they, they, didn't, they didn't put everything together, that a lot of this was due to their, their lack of neglect of the house of the Lord and why they were sent to do the work they were sent to do. And before they knew it, 16 years passed. Now, those of you who are younger, you're thinking, 16 years, my goodness, what were they waiting for? Those of you who are older go, 16 years could pass like that. Absolutely quick, can't believe it. So the Lord sent Haggai. Last week, we spoke about a new way to live, and he was talking about making God the priority of our lives, making God the center of our lives. Uh, But this week, the title of our message, it's rather long. It's called, Called by the Word of the Lord to the Work of the Lord. There's four things if you're you're taking notes. Uh, One thing we see when, when God calls us and, 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 you know, he's, he's after us, 
The first point is the word of God chases us. The word of God chases us. You might say the word of God pursues us. Now, for that, we have to go back to verse 1. Don't worry, we're not going to do all those verses again that we did last week all over again. But let's go back to verse 1. Uh, Haggai, verse 1 and 2, says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. You see, when God wants to get something done, what does he do? He sends his word. And who usually brings his word? A man or a woman that he has called to bring that word. Now, typically you think, oh, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, you probably are the pastor of the place where you work at by now. You're probably the resident theologian at your job. I mean, you say to people, you know, can you name the four Gospels? They're like, Mo, Curly, Larry, Shemp, right? Manny, Mo, Jack. I mean, they they don't know it. And so you are that person when God wants to do a work in a place. Some of you have have Bible studies and, and workplace prayer meetings where you are. God sends a man or a woman. And so the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah. We said last week he's in the line of King David. So he would be the guy who would be the next king if they were to have a king. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So he's in line to be the high priest saying... Verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. We talked about that just being related to his power, saying this people says, God says, this is what the people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. But now Haggai is saying, stop that silly talk. The time has come. It's now. And twice he told them, and he will say it again later in this, in this, little, ch- this little book, consider your ways. Now, there's one thing we didn't talk about last week that I did want to mention, but I didn't have time to mention it last week, is that you see in those first two guys, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they have a well-known father. They come from proper breeding, if you will. People would have known who they were. They were men of esteem in the community. But here, Haggai, no mention of his father. He just seems like some dude. It's like this dude just, this just shows up. And loved ones, quite often, God takes the foolish things of the world, the New Testament tells us, to confuse the wise people. Like you, God takes uncommon people and he uses them in ways that you never thought possible. Some of you have heard this story before, some of you haven't. I was at my old church about maybe seven or eight years ago. And a woman that I went to college with, and I was anything but Christian in college, I knew she was one of those Jesus people, and, and she walked up to me, and she said, are you Jim Kevney? And I said, I am. And she said, we went to college together, and I said, I know. I'm quickly trying to remember all the insulting things I had said to her when I was drunk. <laughs> and she says, I'm surprised to see you here. I said, I'm surprised to see me here too. And she said, this is a good church. You should come back. And I said, I don't think you're going to see me here very much. And she said, that's too bad. It would be good for you. Like, like you're so far gone, bro. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, I do go to another Calvary Chapel up in northwestern New Jersey. And, I, and she said, oh, which one? And I mentioned our church name. And she said, I've heard Pastor Lloyd talk about that church. He says it's really a great church that we should send our friends there who live up there. And I said, yeah, that's probably a good idea. And she said, who's the pastor? (laughs) And I said, that would be me. And she burst into tears. (laughs) Because God just takes people, unlikely people. And you never know. And if you're sitting here right now going, it could never be me. Guess what? It could be you. And if you're thinking, oh, it's probably me. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. God delights in taking the unlikely people of the world. And that word of the Lord, through the prophet Haggai, chases people down. The word of the Lord, the word of God, chases unbelieving people down to take the next step to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, and that's you here today, I'm so glad that you're here. You are most welcome. I'm not talking about religion I'm not talking about being a good person or good works. I'm talking about putting your trust in Jesus Christ. 
What about those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ? Well, the word of God continues to pursue us, continues to chase us down. And, that, and here he says, it's time for all of them to be about the king and the kingdom's work. And every single thing that everybody does is important. Every single thing matters. So Haggai's call is quite simple. The work of the Lord is right in front of your own eyes. Stop your rationalizing. Stop your excuses. Roll up your sleeves and get to work. Now Haggai is very, very direct. Some might say insulting. As God calls his people to keep him at the center of their lives and in faith take action upon their faith. Now, some people will push back. They'll say, no, 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 Pastor Jim, you're wrong. God only wants us to invite Jesus into our heart. God only wants us to trust Jesus, and what we do doesn't really matter. Well, here in this account, we see that that's not true. Now, some of you might say, well, where do you see that? Well, you have to think about it for a minute, and sometimes when we read the Bible, we have to read in between the lines. If God didn't care what they would do, why would he take them on that long trip from Babylon all the way back to Jerusalem, which was decimated to all of that trouble? Why wouldn't he just say, we said some of them had good businesses in Babylon, just stay there, make a living, it's fine, no problem. Yet the word of God pursued them, and the word of God pursues us and reminds us that the temple or the church is the place where God meets with his people, and we must pursue God, and we must pursue his work as well in the way that he pursues us. Now, their sin of these people was not the sin of the pre-Babylonian captivity people. We said last week their sin was syncretism, taking other religions and mixing it together with Christianity. Well, God pretty much got that out of their system. They were like, oh, if we do that again, he's going to yank us out of Jerusalem again. So, so that was not their sin. You say, what was their sin? Their sin was actually very, very close to ours. And I include myself in this. Their sin was very close to the temptation that we all face. And what is that? Complacency, apathy, indifference to the Lord. It is, if you know the the book of Revelation, it is the sin of Laodicea. It is the sin of being lukewarm. Do you remember what Jesus said? I wish that you were hot, you were hot for me, or you were cold for me. That's what I want. I want people full on for me or people that are cold for me so I can call them to be full on. But he goes, but you guys, you're lukewarm. That's what he told them. Jesus said to that church, you're lukewarm. That's the worst place to be. And you remember what he said? I'll vomit you out of my mouth. You're like, that's shocking. We're supposed to be shocked. That's what God thinks of lukewarmness. So God chases after our hearts by the power of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He shows us that the answer is not just more human effort. He pursues our hearts to respond to him, to let our lives flow from his power and his love for him and for the people of this world. Christian, understand this. God wants to live in you and through you. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he lives in you, but he wants to live through you and he will pursue you. He will chase you down to live through you until you give in to that. Just like you couldn't win the battle. You, how many of you came into the kingdom like, I give up, I give up, right? That was it. In the same way, he's going to pursue you to serve him in his kingdom. Well, that's number one. The word of the Lord chases us. The word of God chases us. Number two, when God calls us to his work, the word of God changes us. The word of God changes. Now we can jump down to our verses. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Now remember last week God said, and we read it in verse one, he called them this people. Now it's the remnant of the people. They obeyed the voice of the Lord and their God, the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet. Notice they're the same voice. It's the word of the Lord and the word of Haggai. When the prophets speak, God speaks. As the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the presence of 
the Lord. So before the exile, the people were largely indifferent to the word of the Lord. So God got their attention. He sent them to Babylon. Now they come back. Haggai comes and he's saying, hey, I'm here to get your attention. And he draws their attention to the word of God. And as they hear the word of God, and this is something, one of the greatest things about being a pastor, as they hear the word of God, they begin to change. And I've seen that in the lives of so many of you. You might not see it, we do. That's why you need to join a community group. So they're like, oh, you, have I changed everything? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, tell me more, tell me more. And so they began to change and they're called the remnant. Now, many Christians today, sadly, don't want the clear teaching of the word of the Lord. They don't want the clear teaching of the word of God because they don't like being told to do something by God. They don't like being told to do anything, anything by anybody, but even by God. They want to stay asleep. Sometimes we refer to that as practical atheism or unbelieving believers. But the group that emerges here says that we want to hear and obey the entirety of the word of the Lord and the Lord refers to those people as the, the remnant. Those of you who are in the, in the cloth business, you know about a little piece of clo- uh, cloth or something like that. And so this is the group of people. Now, I realize I'm going to greatly oversimplify what's going on right here. But God said to them, you need to obey. You've sinned, you've forgotten me, and you need to obey. And they did it. Isn't that simple? That's really a great example of what we call repentance. God says, you're walking that way. I'm over here, but you're walking that way. Your back is to me. Turn to me, put your trust in me, and start doing what I tell you, not what everybody else is telling you to do, not what yourself is telling you to do. That's where you'll find fulfillment and satisfaction. So they repented, they turned, they came back to God. And some of you may not believe this. In fact, a lot of you might not believe this. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you can obey him. You can. God has taken you away when you put your trust in Jesus away from the penalty of sin. But now you are no longer under the power of sin. You no longer have to be caught in that dysfunctional cycle of constant disobedience and constantly doing things that you don't want to do. You do not have to live there anymore. Jesus has delivered you from that. And the remnant was not just a group of people that returned from Babylon, not just a group of church people. You know, church people walking around all the time thinking, well, I go to church. God must be really thrilled. Okay, you go to church. Great, glad you're here. But if you live like the devil the rest of the week, what are you? Oh, does that mean I'm cold? No, it means you're lukewarm. (laughs) The cold people don't go to church. That's why we go out to meet them. You're lukewarm. What does Jesus do with with lukewarm people? Same thing happens to you when you drink too much, right? He vomits you, vomits me. No, this is the group that returned to the Lord. They repented and obeyed. And and it's really a very interesting thing that's going on here. They, They feared the Lord. They fear and they go to work. You see, what was behind their response? Their response here, it says that there was fear, but there's a tension. It was fear, but then in verse 14, it's going to tell us that the Lord stirred them up. See, there's God's part and there's our part. Maybe we have to look at the reasons why we struggle to obey. Maybe we're not doing our part. Maybe we're not allowing God to stir us up or we're fighting him off on that. And you say they were afraid of God and they went to work for God. That demonstrates for us that we can experience the joy of the Lord and the fear of the Lord at the same time. Now, often in the Bible, the term the fear of the Lord, and this is one that that Christians back up on a lot when people go, I don't like the fact that God says I'm supposed to fear him. And usually in the Bible, it means reverence. So the proverb says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we have a reverence for God. But the word here for fear is the word for terror. It's the word for terror. It's like the people of God in Exodus, like, yo, Moses, man, you go talk to God on the mountain. We'll wait here. You just tell us what he said. 
You say, well, why would they be so afraid? Remember we said last week, this is the first prophetic voice in the promised land since the exile. Those guys had been warning them before. If you don't get it together, God's going to take you down to Babylon. And they didn't believe it. And God took them down to Babylon. The Babylonians took them, but God let them. And so now here a prophet comes in. Zechariah is going to come in too. And the people are like, whoa, we, we, we better get it together. We're not going to be so proud to think this is what happens. We think that we can get away with it. Nobody else can, but we can. They realize they can't do that. And so since God is holy and pure and we are not, fearing him is a natural reaction and it actually motivates us to the work of the Lord. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? Now you say, but they're there to build the temple, these people. Isaiah wrote this before then. Remember, it's the place where God comes to dwell with his people. For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look. Do you want to know what a true worshiper of God looks like? Do you want to know what God is really looking for from all of us? On him who is poor and of of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Somebody who who picks up their Bible and says, Lord, guess what? I'm going to let you teach me. I'm going to let you show me my faults. I'm going to let you show me how you're going to make me more like you. And when I hear your words speak to me, I'm not going to blow it off. I'm actually going to tremble. Because I'm going to know the God of heaven and earth and the cosmos has spoken to me. That is worship from the heart. One of the foundational truths about the word of God is that it awakens the consciences and changes the hearts of the true people of God. Now, the other thing about the word of God is it angers unbelieving people. A lot of times that anger is because the people who say they believe don't know it, and they're talking about stuff that they don't know what they're talking about. It often angers unbelieving church people, which is probably most church people. And, and, but yet... The heart inclined towards God, the heart that trembles at his word, agrees with God. Now, I read the Bible a lot, and I'm like, I don't really like that, but I know this. God's right, and I'm wrong. It's kind of that simple. And somebody's like, that's oversimplifying it. For me, it's, it's just, it really helps. It really helps. And a lot of times, if I think he's not good, I'm thinking I'm misunderstanding it. I have to dig into it more deeply. James 1, through 25 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We tell people when they come to their new in faith, we tell them, read your Bible and do what it says. For James says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Sometimes my wife will say to me, I'll be going out of the house, and she goes, have you looked in a mirror this morning? And I'll be like, I did. I just forgot to do something with this. But we can be that way. God can show us something, and we walk away. We're not even out, to, to the, we're not even out of the parking lot. And we forget what God has shown us. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work This one will be blessed in what he does. Another paraphrase says this. This is the one who wins true happiness. This is the one who knows the joy of the Lord. So let's not overcomplicate here what's going on in Haggai. Uh, They heard the word of the Lord. They heard the word of God. They repented and they turned back to God in faith and they got to work. They were convicted of their sin, of their unfaithfulness to the Lord in their attitude and their lack of actions towards the house of the Lord. And somehow, it seems to me, they understood that just as the Lord had judged the unfaithful people of God that came before them, he could judge them as well. So what are some things that God might, you say, well, what, what in the world would God judge people on? Well, let's look in the Old Testament, Exodus 23, 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, most of us think of, oh, well, you know, I don't have any little statues in my house, right? 
I don't have any pagan gods in my house. But Ezekiel talks about idols of the heart. There's things we might love more than God. We might love our our work more than God. You should love your work, but not more than God. We might love our kids or our family or our hobbies or something like that more than God. It's okay to love those things, but not more than God. New Testament, Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And so it's a simple question I have to routinely ask myself and, and we all do, you know, whose kingdom is more important? What's kingdom? What kingdom is more important? You see, the people in Haggai's day demonstrate for us how to listen to the word of the Lord, how to what we talked about last week, to consider our ways, see where we are off, and then let God change us. And it's also true, and this is one of the wonderful things about God, is that through repentance, we can quickly move from God saying, oh, those people, to, oh, my people that you're just some person kind of doing your thing, to, to that's my child. Well, number three, when God calls us to his, wor- to his work, the word of God comforts us. The word of God comforts us. You could say it encourages us. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message. Notice it wasn't his own message. It was the Lord's message. The New Testament says that we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador supposed to do? Take the message from the president, bring it overseas, and deliver it in person. Not to change it or tweak it, not to undermine it, not to go, well, you know, that's what he says, but I wouldn't do that if I were you. Not to do that, to actually deliver the message. And so he spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, and this is what the Lord says, I am with you, says the Lord. Another verse that says, I am with you, declares the Lord. So, seeing them, God's there. He sees them turning to him. He sees them desiring to, to put him back at the center of their lives. He sees that they are determined to do the right thing. And it's no longer, hey, consider your, what you're doing. It's no longer a rebuke. It's the simple comfort and encouragement. I'm with you. When you go to do what I have asked you to do, God says, you can be confident I am with you. And I'm not hounding you anymore to do what you need to do. I'm not hounding you anymore about it. I'm helping you, and you can know that I'm always with you. I think the danger for so many of us, once those of us who've been a Christian a while, is we assume on the word of God. Sometimes we hear it, and we actually think that we did it. Did you ever do that? You know who's the worst, the worst at that? Pastors. We think because we preached it, it means we did it. Every once in a while, Pam will say to me, I can say this stuff because she's not at this service. Um, <laughs> she says to me, Okay, Pastor Jim. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, oh, that was a low blow. <laughs> right? That was not fair. Yeah, but we can think because we heard it, we agreed with it. That it actually means that we did it. And often we hear that term, God is with us. And we just kind of blow it off. Our hearts and affections are moved very little. And I know that when I think about God being with me, and I have it hanging everywhere I go, when I think about God being with me and it doesn't move me or stir my affections for God, my little idiot light goes off on the dashboard of my heart. You know the one that when you're running low on gas? It goes off and it says, Jim, you're, you're, you're in a state of complacency. You're in a place of indifference. Because my presence in your life is not, is not jacking you up anymore. Yet the realization that God was with them helped them to see that God was not just building a temple. God was building a people and changing their hearts. And as they began to build, they sensed the comfort of the Lord. 
and they became confident in the work that they were doing for him. I am with you. These were the departing words of Jesus to the apostles and how the Lord Jesus wants us to hold those words and keep them so very close to our heart. You say, why would he want us to keep it close to our heart? I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think a big one is because we fail so often in our following God. It's family, right? We do. Why don't we be honest about it? We fail so often, and we got that other guy yammering in our ear, right? Just like, well, you're a failure. You're no good. You're useless. I'm like, well, nothing you've said is wrong, (laughs) right? (laughs) But the reality is, is that the Lord does not want you, if you are his child, if you've trusted in Jesus, the Lord does not want you to be consumed by your failure. The Lord wants you to be consumed by his presence. He wants you and I to be consumed by the fact that although we do fail, he is still with us. And all we need to do is just say, Lord, I failed there. I blew that one. I'm sorry. And know that he's not going to be like, well, how many times are you going to do this? But he's going to say, I forgive you. And I'm with you. And don't you ever, ever, ever forget that. My grandson was over on New Year's Day, and he's turning two in March. And um, he calls me Pop. Well, it comes out Op. And uh, he loves me, but not as much as he loves our cat. And he kept grabbing my hand, and he kept going, op, K-cat, K-cat, op, K-cat, K-cat. And he kept grabbing my hands. That means take me to the cat. So we were going all over the house. He was hiding, but trying to find him. And it just reminded me that I'm that little boy, and my hand is in God's hand. And I'm saying, God, this is what I know you want for me to do. Would you hold my hand? Would you take me there? Loved ones, please remember that that the God that is with you is also the God that is for you. No matter what things might seem like, no matter how tough it might be, no matter how difficult it is, the God that is with you is also the God that is for you. Hear the word of the Lord, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Listen, when it seems like you're in over your head, he's like, I'm not going to let you drown. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Second Chronicles 15, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, Asa the great reforming king, and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Can we leave that verse up on the screen? My fear is that when a lot of us read verses like that, our eyes automatically gravitate to, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. That's that's where our eyes automatically gravitate to. But that's not where our eyes should gravitate to. Our eyes should gravitate to is the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if we do that, forget about the rest of the verse. (laughs) Forget about it, right? Forget about it. Be confident that the Lord is with you. When Jesus left, he promised his, he promised his presence through the person of the, of the Holy Spirit. It is so important that we never forget that. It's so important that we cry out for the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, in the life of our church, and wherever we go. Many times in the word of God, the Lord calls his people to his will for their life. And then he reminds them, I will be with you. 
And then, and then we go out and we try and we go, oh, I failed or it wasn't easy. The Lord must not be with me. You want to know something? We all know this. When it's easy, we take the credit. When it's hard, we go, oh, Lord, where are you? You got a great marriage and people go, hey, what's the secret to a great marriage? You go, well, we have great communication and we have this and we have that and we have that. Talking to people with bad marriages, like, we need the Lord. And so the Lord wants us to remember. And sometimes things are not going to be easy. That's why him being with us is so very precious. You say, how do I get this spirit? Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, God wants to help you, not hurt you. He's just not sitting there in heaven going, oh, I hope they mess up so I can mess them up. Well, that takes us to number four. When God calls us to his work, the word of God charges us. The word of God charges us. We might say it energizes us. It empowers us. It fires us up. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up. Let me just stop right there for a second. Honestly, today, can you say that you are allowing the Lord to stir you up for his kingdom? Now, I know a lot of you would say, I don't feel like I'm stirred up. And a lot of you will meet me after the service and and in between the services and after the next service and say, I know that I'm not stirred up. And there will be people up front here for prayer Waiting. So if you're not stirred up and you want to be stirred up, make a beeline for the front. Make a beeline for it. You think, oh, Pastor Jim will think I'm a sinner. I already know you're a sinner. (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Jim will think I struggle to be stirred up. I know you struggle to be stirred up. There's no difference between you and me. I'm just the loudmouth who stands up here yelling at everybody. That's a difference. That's no difference. Maybe a friend is here with you, sitting next to you, and you say, man, would you pray for me that I would be stirred up? I want to be stirred up because I know the Lord wants to stir me up. Verse 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now, that's 23 days later. Now you say, well, what were they waiting for? Well, it was actually harvest season. They actually had to prepare everything to build the place. So what were they doing? They were working during the day and preparing the place at night. They're working double shifts. It's kind of like us saying, okay, we're going to have this great building program. We're going to begin it the day after Thanksgiving. People in America would be like, what are you, crazy? But they got right at it. See, see, here's what was happening. While the people were turning to God, we see that the Lord had already turned to them. I mean, he is, he is charging them up like a dead battery. Right, you know, you go out to a dead car and you like can't start, and you put a charger on it, and all of a sudden, boom, there it goes. That's what the Lord is doing to them, and what the Lord wants to do with all of us. He is energizing them. He is stirring up their spirits so their consciences and their will come in line with the work of the Lord. Clearly, God was at work. He moves the affections of His people through the Word of God. That's His part. But our part is to respond. Once again, that response is called repentance. And once again, we see a tension. Here we see that that, that doing the work of the Lord, that's a duty. That's our part. But being stirred up by God, that's his part. We just have to be willing to let him stir us up and to take the next step. And a lot of times you'll find out that you really don't get really stirred up until you take that next step, until you take that step of faith into the unknown. 
And so there's been a lot of people here over the years that they were like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, and we just like go to the, go to the you know, connection table and we'll get you started. We'll give you an application. It's more reading than it is filling stuff out. And we'll get you in and, and started to do stuff. And you never know what God will do. First thing I did at the church I was at when I lived in Hoboken, my job was to keep the junior high boys away from the junior high girls <laughs> and, and to keep them quiet during the message. That was it. When I get to, when I get to Calvary Chapel, I was a youth leader. The first responsibility they gave me was to unclog the toilet. <clears throat> I gotta be honest with you. Some days I think back on those things and I think, you know what, I was more stirred up than I am sometimes to preach. Just being honest. So we have to respond. They're no longer lethargic and apathetic. They've decided to obey the word of the Lord and God supplies the power of the Holy Spirit. They're no longer consumed with just themselves. The leaders and the people come together to pursue the great work of the Lord. They are no longer a people driven by their feelings and their selfishness. Now they're ready to do great things for the kingdom for generations to come. And, and you know, I, I know <laughs> that a lot of people would look at what's going on in our country and they'll think, well, Christianity is kind of this doomed thing. It will be if we throw in the towel. It's important to see that when you take up, up these, these projects that God had his people doing, that every role was important. I mean, some guy put a heater in this place, and it's 32 degrees out today. Do you think that's important to us? You know, you came in, and the, and the place was clean, and, 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 and you were offered a hot drink and free stuff like that. I didn't do any of that. I didn't order it. I didn't make it. I didn't do anything. But that's important. That's important. I mean, they had to have people order supplies. They had to have people who know how to build things, build stuff. They had to have people clean up. They had to have people doing food runs. All of it important. But you know what's the most important thing about it? Is they gave themselves to the Lord. And they were willing to do Whatever God asked of them to do, even a little thing like telling a woman, I will watch your two-year-old. Little thing, little thing. Seriously, you moms, you know this. You're uncomfortable with the child care? You're out of there. And guess who's following you? Your obedient husband, right? <laughs> you think it's little stuff? It's not. It's not. For those of you who serve here, if you're a guest, I, I know this already. Do you know that the people have already made up their mind whether they're coming back long before I've ever taken the stage? That's why I don't feel bad yelling at you. <laughs> They've already made up their mind. Everything that everybody does is important in your office, your work ethic, how you are towards the people you work with. That, that is so important. What I love here is how the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord motivated the work of the Lord and the power of the Lord. I also love how clear it is that the conviction of the sin of indifference caused action, not inaction. That shows us that godly sorrow is a good thing. That shows us that allowing God to, to, to correct us is a good thing, yet in the end... It's more than that. It's the beginning of a new commitment to the Lord. And that's what I want for all of us, including me, this year. All of us. A deeper, richer commitment to God and to his people. At least so when people come in and go, I don't know what it is with those people, but there's something different about them. It also shows us that when, when we are stirred up in our hearts to a new commitment and we follow the Lord, you can know 
but the Lord is with you. And you might not know what you're doing, but you can be confident that the Lord is with you. I've been on many a hospital visits with many men in this church, and they've seen me pull up in the parking lot and not knowing what we were walking into and putting my head on my steering wheel and go, God, I have no idea what I'm walking into. I have no idea what to say. You've got to come with me. You've got to walk before me. And then we come out, and the guy goes, uh, can I ask you a question? It seemed like you knew exactly what to do the entire visit. And I said, because I was confident that the Lord was with me. That's all it was. I wasn't confident in what I could do. I was confident that the Lord was with me. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that the church is the place where God is building a people. And those people are a visible symbol of God in the world. What's our part? Our part is to yield ourselves to the word of God, to the stirring of the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, that's something that's easier said than done. And it's impossible without the word of God and God's help. How bad was it? How hard is it? 500 years later, Jesus Christ himself, after Haggai, 500 years later, Jesus Christ, God become a man, came to the most religious nation on earth because the love of the people towards God had grown cold and go through the motions religion had become big. But Jesus, we talk about him living a perfect life. God was at the center of his life always. Jesus had absolutely zero spiritual indifference in him. Instead, he had great love for his father. He had great love for the people of God. He had great love for the house of the Lord. And Jesus was stirred up to serve his heavenly father. And friends, until you see Jesus on that cross serving you, you will never be a servant. Never. You won't even be able to take the garbage out with joy. But when you see him serving you on the cross, you can become a servant of God. In John chapter 2, Jesus comes into the temple and saw it had become this horrible place of business. And he took a whip and he started going out in righteous indignation and just whipping his whip around and overturning the tables and kicking people out, chasing the people out in judgment for the way they were towards the house of the Lord and towards his father. You say, well, why would he do that? The apostle John explains it to us and he quotes Psalm 69, 9 that would told us what Jesus would be like. And it said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus walks into church And he's like throwing everything around because his zeal for the glory of God and the the growth of the people of God and the worship of God and what he saw absolutely disgusted him. It was church. It was churchianity. And so he began this, this righteous anger. And let me speak for me, and I know a lot of my dear friends who would admit this. A lot of us lack that zeal, don't we? That maybe Christ would walk in and he would see some of us and he would say, man, zeal for your house has eaten me up. But something really changed. That day, Jesus took the whip to that place. But then a few years later, when they arrested him, and we studied this in Matthew, It wasn't Jesus taking the whip to the phony religious people and the unbelieving people. It was those people taking the whip to him. As the Romans whipped him before they crucified him on the cross. And this is the gospel. That if you're willing to turn to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus will take the judgment for you. 
Jesus will take the punishment for your sins. And not only that, he will take the judgment for the sin of our lack of zeal for the things of God. And he will give us the credit for his zeal. We will get his righteousness. It's important to see that Jesus had to die on the cross for our not seeking the kingdom of God first. We think, oh, he, he died for our, for, our, for our alcohol use or our drug use or our pornography or our filthy mouths. And all that is true. But he, dry, he died for so much more. He died for our not seeking the kingdom of God first. He died for our lack of zeal for the house of the Lord, for the people of God and for the worship of God. And when the Lord says, I am with you, that means that the Lord has committed himself to us and to them. And if you don't believe it, look at the cross and seeing how committed Jesus is to you and to me by dying for our sins. So the gospel is we've not sought the kingdom and we've not sought his righteousness. So Jesus came and took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That is all to, as he said, those who repent and believe. Those who turn to him and put their trust in him. And because of the cross and resurrection, Jesus has done the work. But there's a tension. Jesus has done the work and we must respond in what the Bible calls repentance and faith. For some of you today, what a great Sunday of this new year, of this new decade, that today would be the day when you would come up front here after the service and say to one of the people or meet me on the way out or one of the other people that are working around serving and say, today is the day I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ for the first time. I'm done. I can't enjoy life. He's hounding me and I know it. I'm done. I want peace. I want joy. I don't want to be religious I just want to know that he's with me. And I want to know that he actually can forgive me. And he can actually change me. For others of us, maybe we need to come up front here. We need to grab someone and we need to say, pray for my lack of zeal. Pray for my moving God to the margins of my life. Oh, there was a day when I loved the Lord, but now I've moved him to the margins. Now I'm so afraid of what other people think or I'm so consumed with what I'm doing that he's not really the center of my life anymore. But for all of us, we need to respond to the Lord by being willing to do the work of the Lord, the work of the king and the work of the kingdom. So God's heart to invite other people into the kingdom and to have his children mature in the kingdom can be done. Never, never discount what you do for the Lord. In 1987, a young man 10 years younger than me told me about Jesus Christ. And when I look at you, I never forget him. I pray that we would be that to a lost and hurting world. Well, let's stand and pray.